We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at a two-part episode of The Night Stalker, uh, The Source and The Sea. Which some would say The Sea is the source of life, so maybe there's a maybe there's a tie in there. Recap might be one of the longer ones. <laughs> at a drug lord's palatial estate, a man, Victor Kaleka, tries to buy his life. But before the scene can play out, four motorcyclists arrive and, with silent efficiency, slaughter the heavily armed gangsters. All except Kaleka, who was wounded but escapes. Within moments of the motorcyclists leaving, Kolchak is on the scene, checking the bodies for the mysterious mark on their wrists. He sees Kaleka fleeing down the mountain. Kaleka is a missing DEA agent, and now a joint FBI-DEA task force wants the Beacon's help. And specifically, they want to know who Kolchak's source was. The lead FBI agent is Agent Fane, Kolchak's former friend and now crusading agent meaning to put Kolchak away from murdering his wife. Kolchak, naturally, is unwilling to cooperate with Fane, but Kolchak also has shut out Perry and is acting weirdly. Kolchak's source is actually a disguised voice on a cell phone, and he insists that if he can find Kaleka, he can get answers for Kolchak's wife's death. Following different leads, Perry and Jane interview Kaleka's supervisor. Off the record, the supervisor tells them that Kaleka isn't a dirty cop, he's a victim. Why, just weeks ago, Kaleka and his wife Linda were driving when a mysterious thunderstorm cropped up. Their car was smashed off the road by something, and Linda was dragged off, missing, presumed dead. The story sounds identical to Kolchak's. Minutes after Perry and Jane leave, the four motorcyclists arrive and kill the supervisor. Kaleka has found his way to a store in Koreatown, where a sympathetic widow takes a shine to him and has his wounds treated and keeps him safe. She speaks little or no English, but through a translator explains that she is very lonely since her husband died, and she has had a dream that when a man comes to her in need, if she cares for him, she will find peace. Kolchak is arrested for refusing to reveal his source. Meantime, Jane's hacker friend, Edhead, tracks Kaleka down to the store in Koreatown. Jane goes to find Kaleka, but when he does, the four motorcyclists arrive and kill Kaleka. Jane hides in fear for his life. As Kolchak is locked in a cell, the four motorcyclists detect the hiding man in the storeroom and kill him. That's end of the source. And now, the sea. Perry rushes to the scene of the double homicide and discovers that Jane is actually safe. Another man was hiding from the gunman and was the second victim. With Kaleka dead, the FBI released Kolchak. Edhead has been snooping on cell phone calls and has discovered something significant. Linda Kaleka isn't dead. She's in hiding. The Korean woman wasn't at the store at the time of the murders. She is heartbroken, but knows nothing. She leaves them her number in case there's anything she can do. Edhead gets a breakthrough and leads Kolchak, Perry, and Jane to Linda as she's moving to a safe hotel. Agent Fane has been using Kolchak as a stalking horse, and they lead the FBI right to Linda Kaleka. As Kolchak makes contact, the four motorcyclists arrive. 
A fierce battle with the FBI, DEA, police, and the four motorcyclists ensues. The motorcyclists are unfazed by the police bullets as they relentlessly and inexorably kill police and civilians alike in their pursuit of Linda. Kolchak and Perry manage to escape with her, while Jane manages to get pictures of the four motorcyclists, who wordlessly and synchronously turn around and leave when Linda escapes. The FBI are flabbergasted. They know they shot the perpetrators multiple times, with no effect. The Beacon is finished helping the FBI. They put Kolchak in harm's way to find Linda, and Vincenzo has had enough. With Kolchak and Perry both missing, the entire newsroom is tasked with finding them and getting this story. Jane finds something interesting. He's positively ID'd two of the motorcyclists. They are both bank robbers who were shot and killed years ago. Well, that's a bit weird. Kolchak and Perry have taken Linda to a remote hotel, and while they wait, Kolchak and Perry have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Kolchak reveals something new about the death of his wife, the strange symbol that appeared on his wife's arm and that he discovered had appeared on the arms of so many other victims of bizarre deaths, he has that mark on his wrist too. But unlike the others, he was born with it. Linda tells them that she had a dream, that her husband came to her and said he'd never see her again, but now she'd find peace. The dream curiously echoes the Korean woman's dream. Perry tries to ask Linda about the accident that happened to her and her, and her husband, telling her about the death of Kolchak's wife and how her unborn fetus was ripped from her body. Linda has nothing to tell her that would help. Ed head to the rescue one more time. She finds where Kolchak is hiding by spying on the FBI. Vincenzo calls to warn them to get out before the FBI arrive, and then, with the monotonous regularity of an unloved season, the four motorcyclists arrive. Kolchak tries to draw them away while Perry and Linda escape. The four motorcyclists catch up to him and prepare to kill him, but when they see the mark on his wrist, they stand down and walk away. Kolchak is mystified. Later, Perry returns to the beacon alive, much to everyone's delight. Linda got away from her, and they have no clue where she is. Three months later, we see that Linda is living with the Korean woman by the sea, and that she is heavily pregnant with Victor Kalecka's child. And that's the and end. And that's of all this. we have time for on this yes. late, this edition of Fusion Show. <laughs> yes, we're um and we're done that. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, and if I have, it's probably with monotonous regularity. Um, but when this show came out in 2005, late, like September, October, um, my son had just been born a few months earlier. And what we had done with our first two children was that um, we each took three months off, basically. And so my wife had taken time off, and then I took three months off, and we went to Taiwan. And so I was there for, I was there for three months. And... Um, um, it was right when this show came out. And I was very, very, very eager to see this show and in anticipation of this show because Kolchak, right? My childhood show. And, you know, if, if perhaps Fusion Patrol has taught me anything is that the things you maybe you loved as a child maybe weren't as good as you thought they were. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, I was, you know, gung-ho for this project. And especially since Frank Spotnitz from the X-Files, which, you know, as, as we mentioned several times, the X-Files took a lot of the, the things that Kolchak got wrong and fixed them. So I, I always felt like it was a, um, a, a considered effort on their part to look at what didn't work on Kolchak and try to fix that. And so I really, really had high anticipations for this show. So the fact that I was out of the country when it was airing led me to this be the first thing I ever purchased as a, like a season pass on iTunes. I, I, I can't believe that season passes in iTunes have been around for that long. It seems like so much the latest thing you, know, well, you could download an entire TV show. 
Right. Well, so and now that was thirteen years ago. It was. So here's the thing. Um, while I was in Taiwan, so I'm watching this because you know I have an American iTunes account, and and worst case scenario, if it was going to give me trouble, I have VPN, I could get back to home and do the downloads. But I didn't have any problem with it. And so every week while I'm over there, another episode of Colchak comes out, and I watch another episode of Colchak. And um, what I didn't know is that they canceled the show in the <laughs> middle of this episode. It went off the air in the United States. Which in the pre-iTunes era would have just been incredibly frustrating. But at least iTunes put out the next episode the next week. So I didn't know. It's a lifesaver. It was. It was. And so that's really the first time I ever saw a truly first-run show never aired on streaming was this program. And so I went to check, and Netflix didn't put out their own first first-run show until 2013 with House of Cards. Uh-huh. So, I mean, not saying that this was an intentional thing by iTunes to to have their own show on, but this is the first case I'm aware of where a show that didn't air on traditional television was released first in streaming. And that's this second part and the rest of the episodes of the series um, are, are one of the first examples of a show that didn't air anywhere before you could watch it online, which I think is, well, at least it pioneered something. <laughs> By getting cancelled. <laughs> I cannot believe they cancel it in the middle of the two episodes, though. I, I, It's astonishing. I can't believe that they wouldn't say, well, we'll at least find a way to get the second part out before we cancel it. But no, just like, eh, never mind. Nobody watched. Nobody cares if Jane is dead. Nobody cares what's going to happen to Kolchak. You know, there, there's no mystery in this episode that anyone would be, be interested in. So what the heck, just cancel the darn thing. Um, well, they could either have done it a week earlier or a week later if they had any consideration for their audience. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It is just. Uh, it's just astonishing to me that they would do that. You know, it's bad enough when they cancel a show that ends on a cliffhanger and you never bother to come back. But <laughs> but it seems like they. They obviously I mean, they have, have these they in have the a can. choice. It's the it's the first episode where the show actually does end on a cliffhanger, and it's 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 like they deliberately picked the worst possible time to cancel it. <laughs> They're being mean. And it's also the first episode, I think, I think we discussed this last time, because of course I kind of knew this was coming. Um, it's the first quote-unquote mythos episode, apart from the pilot. Yeah. You know, we're, we're finally back to the mystery of Kolchak's wife, and we're getting more pieces to the puzzle about it. And frankly, it's, although it may be a little overlong, because there's two parts, uh, I it's the best one we've had so far, I think. But I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll let you take it from there. What did you think of the episode? Or episodes? well, I'm story. Let's call it story. Yeah, I guess it, it covers more than one episode. Um, well, I'm certainly not. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. And I I really felt like with this story, we finally got a sense of what the show was about and what what worked or what it what it was what it was capable of what it could do uh, also i kind of finally felt i was getting a bit of a sense of some of the things that really weren't working about the show but that's kind of because of what it threw into relief because you did actually get an episode or it's a story that was that had some real tension in it and and that was actually a, a, a bit epic it was i mean it's more of an action story that mm -hmm. we've had these sort of quite uh i don't want to say they were deep and meaningful but episodes that have uh, a real need to i suppose uh, present some kind of deep 
uh, theme about them. And despite the kind of um, rather biblical introduction, the formless earth and uh, the good and evil <laughs> stuff, I, I, actually, when you got down to it, this episode just galloped. I mean, as your synopsis demonstrates, it galloped through a hell of a lot of plot. And uh, and there's some really satisfyingly uh, constructed... Uh, I mean, I, the, the cliffhanger, for example, I enjoyed, but within the story, some, some, some good questions, some good answers, um, and good choices made about what things not to answer. So it really felt to me like the show finding its footing. I Did guess. they answer anything? I feel like this one just threw far more questions out, and I, I don't know well, that I learned anything. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm not. I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad thing, but uh, it wasn't answering questions that had been raised before, mm-hmm. or not not a great many that's been raised before, because the questions that had been raised before were um, minimal. I would say. I mean, obviously, we know Kolchak has this this mystery about his wife, but um, we're not going to get that answered because you know that's the big one. And so, some of the things like who who are, who are the who are the guys on the motorbikes at the, at the beginning? You don't get an absolute answer about it. But by sort of midway through the second episode, we know what kind of adversary they are. And I like that sort of slow reveal through the story that, you know, well, were they zombies or were they ghosts that we're dealing with here? I wasn't quite sure because there was that shot during the shootout where we see the door behind Mm -hmm. one of them who's just been shot with a shotgun. And it looks to me like that's supposed to show the pellets have passed through him. Yeah, I would go with that. Yeah, so that that was more of a ghost thing. But then can can ghosts ride motorbikes? Ghostly motorcycles. I mean, there is Ghost Rider, the comic book about a ghostly motorcycle rider. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm not... Is the the bike a ghost as well or...? Um, I think in the comic, I believe that it's all a spectral manifestation. But you know, it could be something. It could be something vaguely different too. It could be. Um, uh, I think, for example, to to go back to vampire. I don't think when you shoot a vampire, the bullets leave a mark. Well, they did in the Kolchak sort of though, didn't they? In the Night Stalker, the original, it kind of left little drippy, clear, bleeding things. But a lot of in a lot of tales, there are certain supernatural creatures that objects pass through that aren't ghosts per se but typically a zombie will leave pulp them up so because you've got to be able to cut (laughs) their head off so there's got to be a i think a lot of places werewolves the bullets pass through them unless they're silver as well but and i did i i mean zombies don't traditionally use firearms though i guess no if they're if they're remotely um lazy zombies then you know they might decide it was a a a quicker method well i I wouldn't i wouldn't rule it out well let's Uh, talk about the the four motorcyclists then um never speak a word as far as we can tell even scenes mm -hmm. when it looks like they're conferring their mouths aren't moving yeah you know they just walk up and look at each other and then go off and do something they they went out of their way to show that when one of them saw that linda had escaped with coljack and perry they all just stopped and turned around and walked away without being communicated um you know it, it, they're they are cruel um when they kill the fbi agent or the dea agent supervisor you know they wing him and he's lying on the floor and and the guy just you know casually removes the bullet the the shell cartridges and then puts new ones in buckles the thing up i, I mean it's it's definitely meant to absolutely terrify the guy in his last moments it's well it's you know, pretty nasty but I'm it's not nasty sure it's intentionally i'm it's pretty clear that the program makers are intending to terrify us it's well, not obvious to me 
uh, when they show it from the angle of him with a gun pointing in his face for the last shot. We can see he's terrified, but is it intentional? We don't see the faces of the of the right. gunmen at that point. What, what do you and think the alternate is? Is they're just indifferent? They're just not very quick. Mm. I mean, it's it's maybe quite impressive that a zombie can load a shotgun. I don't know. Mm. It it seemed to me like a deliberate act of cruelness, but I don't know. I, and and they do things that are kind of. I, I don't underst- I don't quite understand them, and I don't know if it's meant to be this way or it's just inconvenient. But for example, uh, they kill the hotel keeper. Yeah. They kill the bartender. Now, when the the DEA agent's supervisor is killed, they just walk in, kill the bartender, kill the kill the agent. Um, at the hotel, they start off by killing the hotel manager. Um, and then they get into a running gun battle with I don't know, fifteen police SWAT teams and whatnot, and they only kill three of them. According to the thing, it's like they're not killing everybody in sight. And when their objective is gone, they just walk away. So it's not like their job is to kill all witnesses or anything like we don't want anyone seeing what happened here. Everybody dead. That would make sense to me. But they kill people they don't need to kill to get their objective. And at the same time, they don't kill people that they might kill if they were just slaughtering people the, randomly the the only the only example where they kill people who they don't need to kill is the one you haven't mentioned in my opinion which is the the drug lord at the very start of the first episode well and that too although it's not clear to me who they're targeting there but i'm assuming it's agent Kalika. Uh, yeah Kalika. and that's a heck of a name it doesn't type well in notes it's like i don't even ethnicity i don't get it it's just but anyway <laughs> Kept thinking, the, should I the, call him Victor? I, I can't. I can't remember the barman, but the hotel receptionist is killed because they shoot at Kolchak and he ducks. Did they? Well, the yeah, barman they just walk in sure. and kill him. They they the just walk they, in. They just shoot. Okay. Okay. So they were maybe I don't know. They were maybe removing a threat. Yeah. See, but at this point, you something don't... behind the bar. I don't know. And certainly with the with the SWAT teams, these guys are shooting at them. They're kind of in the way. Yeah. They only kill the ones that are in the way, basically. Yeah. I. I yeah, and there and, is there is something especially terrifying about that kind of unstoppableness of them. Well, and so when they kill the drug lord, let, let's let's step back because unfortunately you've watched the whole episode and you know that there there's some sort of spectral manifestation of dead bank robbers or something. When they show up for the drug lord, those are heavily armed gangsters, and you would expect this to be a shootout. They are pulling guns, they are trying to kill people, I and mean, these guys have come for a purpose, and the the gangsters pull guns and start to shoot. I'm fine with them killing everyone in the room. This because you don't know what this is. It looks like a drug cartel gang war thing. You know, it's supposed to be violent. It's supposed to be um, you know, meaningless meaningless death for stupid gains. And we don't know that they're inhuman. This just could just be four motorcyclist guys that come up at that point. It's not really until um well, it's not really until the gun shootout with the police that we start to see that they're invulnerable yeah <clears throat> so up to this point they're just baddies on bikes but yes, then but in retrospect does their is there is their action consistent well that's 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 my point it's like you don't need to kill the bartender because so what if he calls the cops <laughs> you know so what if he's a witness well, <laughs> it's like, you but know so but so what if he goes for a gun under the bar won't do I mean, that's won't the hurt same him either as your armed armed drug lords isn't it yeah but they won't but you see if we if we think they're not invulnerable yes it makes sense kill him before he can shoot you Sort of. I use that term casually, but, you know, in, in, in gangster talk, uh, kill the guy before he can pull a gun on you. Okay, fine. But we now know that it doesn't matter if he pulled a gun on them. He could shoot them all day and they wouldn't seemingly be harmed. So 
he's not he's irrelevant to their task which is to kill uh, maybe they don't want him seeing that they killed uh, the supervisor and dragged his body off which you know is then my next question did 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 the supervisor become one of them so that he could make the call you know i i uh, kind of i had I, this feeling like in i um, don't think so um because what? if that was the ex- explanation mm-hmm. where where did they put the house that went missing okay well let's let's do the house separately here i'm, I'm the, well i'm just saying you, you no no i mean both be explanations well no wait a minute I, that's not the voice who was calling Coljack, if that's what you're thinking on the phone no no but it was a voice that was calling someone on the phone right um it was but i i'm but just looking at the supervisory the supervisor they kill him we the audience I think we, the audience, are pretty clearly shown by the way they shoot that, that they put the gun in his face and pulled the trigger on double barrels. Mm-hmm. He's dead. There is, there is no, you're coming back from that. And yet, a little bit later, Kaleka is talking to that supervisor on the phone. And he says, you sound kind of funny. But they don't. And then we find out that the body wasn't found. They took they took the supervisor's body with them. He's missing. Okay. So I'm kind of, I'm confused here. I'm kind of getting that uh, age of stone, flesh and, flesh and stone, Doctor Who vibe where they, where the weeping angels took the guy's cortex and used him to talk when he was dead. That's what's going through my mind when I'm watching this, that they had to haul the body off so that they could use it somehow to make the phone calls to or to receive the phone calls from Kaleka but then subsequently he says to Jane he says well I just talked to him a few minutes ago and Jane says no they found his body a few hours ago so ah And anyway, after they put that gunshot in his face, there wasn't much voice or vocal cords left to, to probably make the call anyway. So I, 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 I don't quite yeah, figure I that don't out. Think, I, I don't think, although, although I take your point about hauling the body off, I don't think your explanation is the most likely one out of those available, given that we have to have an explanation for the house that moved and the various dreams, including the dream, yeah. Are, but, uh, but are those... Okay, um, I will tell you right now, don't read the Wikipedia page, okay? And and if you've got the DVDs, don't listen to the audio commentary okay. on this episode or the source or one of the two. Do neither, because Frank Spotnitz, and it is in the Wikipedia page, reveals a few of the unanswered questions that were left behind from this that would have carried out had the season continued, okay? So I'm unfortunately long ago tainted with that information before we started this, so I'm... I know who the I know who the guy calling Coljack was, and it's got nothing to do with a motorcyclist. So presumably, I mean, obviously it has something to do with a motorcyclist, but it's not the motorcyclists. It's it's a third party that that's got an interest in this in this case, and so I don't know what to make of the house. But I, well, I, I, you know, I, I, motorcyclists are, are not an independent agency. I would agree that that's probably true. I, that's not. I'm not. That's not really spoiled out in the in the thing. But I think that they represent, you know, for want of a better word, let's say the forces of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll call them the baddies. And um, I think whatever the mystery phenomena of the house is, it's related to the third party, not the motorcyclists. So it, I got. I got a sense, and and it wasn't. It wasn't to do with there being uh, a particular party both um, influenced or 
being both responsible for the house and responsible for directing the the um, motorcyclists, I keep wanting to call them the four, four horsemen of the apocalypse, especially <laughs> after that biblical opening. I was thinking, yeah, this is this is surely what they were intended to represent until it turned out they were zombie horsemen of the. Okay, apocalypse. well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the one that is exactly who they are. Okay, the blonde is the pale rider. Okay, that is exactly who Spotnitz says they are. Well, it certainly comes across. So. I, I didn't get it when I watched the show the first time. I, I I didn't I didn't pick that one up. It was it was one of those when I read it out. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like but but you obviously got it. Uh, so so it must be there in context, and I just didn't see it. But um, you know, I'm I'm thinking that there is something going on in this episode where there is a kind of psychic influence occurring that is causing Mm -hmm. the dreams that is causing Kolchak to believe he's on the phone when his phone is not receiving phone calls okay do you think that's what it is that it's that that he hallucinated the house and the the deactive the unactivated phone because we get that from edhead that the phone was never activated so he couldn't have received any calls on it but we know he did and i would be a lot happier with that if he didn't have the physical phone as evidence to give to edhead well Perhaps, but then it would be much harder to prove it hadn't received any phone call. I mean, he right. may have had the, he may have had the phone in his hand. He may have thought he heard it ringing, and he may have thought that when he answered it, he was hearing a voice. But what if he didn't do any of those things? What if they were able to track what if, the phone What if he was holding a, 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 cash purchase a phone somewhere. in his hand yeah. that he was just imagining was ringing and speaking to him? Right. Well, I think I think that's. Yes, I think that's what you're supposed to to take. Either the phone is ringing or it's not ringing. So he's got a phone in his hand. My problem here is that he picked the phone up in a house that doesn't exist. But he picks up, or he, he thinks he does. He picks up the phone. Or that he, somewhere else. That he receives he a call. Doesn't, it's not where he thinks it is. Could could be. I, I would have no answer. And and no answer. Um, but, you know, he's he's taking the call. It could be a ghost call, you know? It, it, this could be the... This, you, it could be similar to the phenomena you're talking about with um, Kaleka hearing his supervisor. But we know that they track this down by the phone calls being made on the phone so those calls really did happen Kaleka did really ah, talk yes, to somebody so on that, a phone Kolchak gets a call and yes that's it, different. did he is he imagining it or is he hearing something that's not that he you know that might be being beamed through from the ghost world I don't know um and then is the house similar manifestation and it it truly is there for Kolchak but then when they're done with the job it goes back to wherever it came from I don't I really don't know it's a weird looking house did that did that cross yes. your mind i mean when he said that was i went to this house i'm like that wasn't a house that was some sort of a glass staircase <laughs> something you know um nothing on earth would have made me call that a house apartment building a condo something but a house really wow um that i i don't know i don't know it's just it's weird and i i was curious as to what you thought of the house and what you thought the house might be i don't know that's not a spoiler that's given away or <laughs> That is, I have no idea what what the, how the house manifests itself or if it's fake or real or anything else. I don't know. Um, let's see. Let's, uh, I will just add that, uh, that apart from tossing cops around, we did have our first 
uh, classic Kolchak uh, cops versus bad guy gun battle. That was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> no tossing around, but at least we had one. I mean, I, it was hearkening back to Kolchak. Get the cops out there and show them that these guys, that this thing is, is... It absolutely had to be a tribute with, you know, all of the cops blazing away to absolutely no effect. No effect. It had to be. And you, again, you know these guys are Kolchak nerds. I mean, for crying out loud, it was cross the Crossbinder board owns the beacon. Crossbinder was the name of Carradine's, David Carradine, uh, no, Richard Carradine's character, Mr. Crossbinder, in the second, in the, in the Night Strangler. Uh, uh. Again, the series owns the rights to the ABC TV movies. They do not own the rights to the Universal TV series. So they were only able to use characters that were in the first two movies. Characters, names, and situations. Anything okay. else, they would get in trouble. But, but we, the, 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 the police shootouts and things that ran through the, certainly mm-hmm. the earlier episodes of the TV series. Right. It, it has to be, I mean, that wouldn't be copyright. We're talking about oh, no, pastiche here. They had them in the first in two movies the, too, remember? Yes, okay, but but then they didn't, no, have, I'm just... they didn't they didn't have a corpse riding a motorbike in the movies and so the references to the episode Chopper have to be deliberate, no? I, that's a good it's question. It's got to be. That's a good question. I mean, if you if you were trying, putting in mind that you thought, I'm going to write in the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Well, obviously, if they rode in on horses, that would be really weird. But if you were going to make them, you know, the modern day horse is the motorcycle, if you will. And with the lone rider coming in, making them... I, I, I think the motorcyclists are an excellent thought out process i don't think it's anything to do with chopper i think i think i think they're excellent i think they're very well realized i cannot believe that it is purely a coincidence that they didn't they didn't look at chopper and go hey the concept here is you know has some potential well you know perhaps perhaps the date they did and they're not you know they're not going to be bound by copyright on something like that you know it's like they could have a werewolf if they wanted to they could have a vampire well it's a tribute yeah you know they they could do that it's just a question of coming down and naming people tony vincenzo uh bernie fane carl kolchak crossbinder is the old they can only use names and characters that were created in the first two movies they can't use they can't use miss emily they can't use ron updike they can't use gordy the ghoul you know it's all off off the table but but if if there's a if there's a deadly motorcycle rider or a zombie hey that's that's prior art yes it's prior art so anyway yeah no i i um i i i you know knowing it's retrospect that it's the four horsemen it's like that is if you sat down and you tried to write it into a story that wasn't so obvious at the first word then you'd you'd it's what they'd have to be they'd have to be biker gang rough tough biker gang dudes on big nasty nasty bikes um so it, it could have been independent but i i don't know but but my point is is that these guys are are definitely Kolchak nerds that they go to quite a lot of detail and absolutely I think the gun battle was a <laughs> was a was an homage to the original um show and and sadly lacking so far in this series I have to say and I would love I would <laughs> well, love I wouldn't I wouldn't have complained if they hadn't done it at all except that actually they realized it very very well and what does agent Fane think of that because we know that he and his partner in that car both absolutely positively know they shot those guys. Yes. So, you know, what do they put in their report? <laughs> like, we missed. We <laughs> shot them and it had no effect. 
you know, I'm, does it does it lend any credibility to Fane? I mean, I know he doesn't want to believe Kolchak, yeah, but yeah. does it lend credibility there? Will he able, I, will be able to win for, him over? For most of the episode, I kind of liked what they were doing with the character of Fane. You know, the fact that Vincenzo has this relationship with him and we obviously get this kind of history with Carl and Fane as the source for the story that made Carl and, and Vincenzo. All, all that's rather good and... Up, leading up to the shootout, the fact that it kind of looks like because we don't quite it, we don't quite know where Fane is now. We don't know whether he is just whether 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 he is a guy trying to do the right thing, but he just cannot cannot bring himself to overlook the what he sees as being the overwhelming evidence against Kolchak in the case of his wife's death. Um, but obviously, he's playing his cards close to his chest. It looks like he knows that uh, Kalika's wife is still around, and that he's chasing them, or that he's, he's he's following them to find out her location. He's not. He's still after the source. And I, yeah. again, I quite like that little bit of misdirection. The only, the only thing that I didn't like was in that showdown with Vincenzo at the end. Fane pulls that threat to go over his head and you think, oh, if they're trying to make him out to be this kind of decent guy who is incredibly sceptical of Kolchak, but who is now, you know, we, we, we get, we're sort of getting this journey where he's going to have to accept something because he's seen these guys, he's shot these guys, he knows he's shot these guys. They haven't died. There's got to be, there's got to be something in it. And so, you know, is he, is he going to, is he going to reevaluate what Kolchak is, has said to him? Is he going to give it a bit more credence? But it just in that in that exchange with Vincenzo, you just think, God, this guy has no class at all. How come either Kolchak or Vincenzo ever saw anything in him? Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I thought him recommending that he'll go over Vincenzo's head didn't bother me because we already know that the Crossbinder board complied with the FBI earlier. So, I mean, he has very good reason to remind Vincenzo that the board has already decided that you're going to help. So, I mean, that, that's... It is. He's just so... He's so slimy about it. But he's FBI, you know? They're, they're never the good guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, damn the Agent Mulder. Boys, I know. Agent he's kind of... Kind of sometimes a little shifty, uh, but I loved that scene. Obviously, Jane I love loved Vincenzo that scene. In it. Vincenzo is I've got that down here. Isn't Vincenzo awesome again in this episode? Yes. He's awesome at at flipping every level uh, on this. Even when he caves in to the bar, the board, you know, Kolchak. Well, we'll fight it. And says, no, we won't. I mean, he's he's matter facting that to Kolchak. Like it's like you know that that's not going to happen. The board's not going to back it up. We're not doing it. You're gonna you're gonna turn over the information. That's your boss telling you you got to do. You know we're not going to protect you. Even even when he's being adversarial to Kolchak, he is being as fair as he can. And then when yeah. Kolchak beats up on Fane and 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 the punishment he gets is oh you have to work with Perry your partner anyway. You know <laughs> like it, it's he's yeah wow Tony Vincenzo is such a night and day improvement over the original. Tony Vincenzo if you needed a news editor and when Perry and Kolchak are missing and he gets the entire news team working on it you know that's you you can't picture you can't picture the old Vincenzo
Vincenzo getting Miss Emily and Updike over and like, <laughs> all right, you start doing background on this. You start doing this. You start scouring the archives for this stuff. Just can't picture it. But this this is a man who's, there's a story here. He knows there's a story there. He's got reporters on it. They're in danger. And, you know, they're our own. And we're going to we're gonna bust this thing. The FBI are being jerks. So let's get it first. I mean, wow. He just, as they say, kicks butt and takes names in this episode. <laughs> so... But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, oh, I, and I appreciate that Jane knows it, too. It's not just we, the audience, are looking at this going, wow. It's like, you know, when, when the characters there know that their boss is an awesome guy. Yeah. You know, that that's more than anything else. It's like you appreciate what you've got there and hopefully, <laughs> you know, don't betray that trust and, and don't, you know, lose that by stupid stuff. And I suspect that, you know, <laughs> that might have, you know, that may still be an issue of contention at some point along the way. You know, Vincenzo gives Kolchak slack, obviously, because he knows he's a good reporter. He doesn't, he won't take any nonsense that comes out of him that can't be substantiated. Same time, you know, I, I could see how he might be able to abuse that trust and you know make tony slide a little bit um in the future we'll we'll see oh. we ought to we ought to mention jane since you mm-hmm. just have because this is a really good episode uh, story even for him as well yes. in the sense that he's useful all the way through it yep and he he takes some initiative, he takes some responsibility, he he works with Carl quite closely, and there's a position for that in the relationship, especially when Carl is being uh, a bit crazy and alienating Perry, mm-hmm. and obviously uh, Vincenzo, and yet... For Jane, there that he 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 sells the fact that he's he actually sees there being something in the story and that he wants to work on it and that Carl uses that and you know gives him gives him a bit of trust and I liked all of that. Yeah, I, I also I, go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say that the the whole um, the whole sequence with him at the beginning of the ocean mm-hmm. where we see what happened to him during the shootout where you know he basically went in and uh, cowered under this cot and his performance there really kind of it just it, it that sold it to me the fact that um you know you would do that yeah. and the, the, <laughs> Absolutely. The, feeling, the feelings you got from him of the kind of guilt he has about it because obviously you know he he ran away and saw the guy shot and he didn't get a look at any of the horsemen and he can't give the police any information and yet that's absolutely what you would do and it you know it it would be an incredibly <laughs> traumatic experience I, I i laugh because okay let's i i agree i agree with you but let's take garen mcgavin's kolchak for a second this is the point where mcgavin couldn't resist poking his head out to try to get a picture yeah that's a that's definitely a difference in the character well obviously it's it's jane versus kolchak but in the original kolchak there is no doubt that he could not resist trying to gather evidence whether it turning on his tape recorder the wrong way flashing a photo in a dark room when you're supposed to be hiding or you know whatever 
<laughs> it happens to be. But it's a difference. It's a difference in style of show, in my opinion. Not. I mean, it's not so much about the character as it is about how seriously you want to take the situations that you find him in. And I'll take that too. In the original Cold Shack, it's a show about zombies and vampires, and there's a bit of a, a nod and a wink to the audience that we know this is all a game, and a ho 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 isn't Cold Shack a bit of a character? Whereas in this, for better or worse, in a in a show about horsemen of the apocalypse riding bicycles they actually want to sell it as if these characters were really experiencing what that would be like not all the way through the show but certainly in this scene okay and And i felt like in this occasion they did a good job Uh, would kolchak be driven by this kolchak's townsend's kolchak would he be driven in that situation in his quest his basically reckless quest to get answers would he be driven to try to peek out at those guys i think i think you're right jane is spot on that's exactly what you do i'd hide behind that thing and i would be as just absolutely not breathing and trying not to you know not trying to make the sounds of my bladder and and intestines emptying in my pants loud enough for them to hear but you know (laughs) like but would goljack i've got to know (laughs) i don't think i can answer that question directly because i think i think i I think i probably have to address the thing that i've kind of realized at this point um now now that now there's a sense of what the show is about and it feels like it's found found its feet and you have these characters uh, like uh, Vincenzo and Jane, and to, to some extent Perry, kind of uh, functioning as a kind of ensemble backup of Cold Shack. And, and new characters, um, particularly Edhead, I thought, oh, I hope she comes back. But um, the issue with this show, I think, is Stuart Townsend. I just feel that his performance as Cold Shack, it So the, the, the problem with that whole first episode of the two-part story is that Kolchak is supposed to be being especially unpredictable and uh, moody and yet he never shows any kind of when when he's not being like that he never shows any more sort of competence or or self-awareness than he does in this case so there's no contrast it it doesn't seem surprised it just seems like Carl being irritating as usual and to me that's not just the writing there's a lot of dialogue in this that isn't perfect but the other actors are selling it Mm. and i'm just not sure that Stuart townsend is doing the business i will i will go along with that um i have nothing against Stuart townsend i i think we made mention of it last time i think he's done Mm. some other stuff um by the way he was dorian gray in the league of extraordinary gentlemen I, i looked that up later on um but he um have had Darren McGavin playing the picture. (laughs) That would have been been awesome. (laughs) That would have been awesome. But uh, he doesn't, um, you know, uh, say what you will for him. Um, David Duchovny comes off really kind of awesome in the David X-Files. He, he's yeah. very personal. He's very likable. He, he. I guess women think he's handsome. Uh, you know, th- there's there's just but, a... But I, but I think I think Townsend can do likable. I think he can do handsome. I think the difference with Dukovny is when when he gets focused on something, when he gets obsessed with something, you believe he's obsessed. There's something and, about him that clicks and it doesn't yeah. with Townsend. Right. And, and, you, and you believe that when he's doing his job, he's actually really good at his job. And even though he is this kind of obsessive misfit who does piss people off and actually doesn't particularly care that he pisses people off or that people think he's some kind of a weirdo. It's not like he's not aware of it. He has that level of self-awareness. Whereas Kolchak's got more of a sense of being like a five-year-old. 
I mean, sorry, this Kolchak, this Stuart, the Stuart Townsend performance of it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to, to convey any of these other aspects of it. He seems to take what's written on the page and just deliver it as if Carl is somehow this, um, is it, that he's, that he's petulant and that he is uh, un- antisocial or unempathetic to other people and doesn't explore how someone like that could be functional as a reporter and and more importantly it doesn't give us as the audience anything to latch onto why should we be interested in the character if he is just petulant five-year-old yeah i <clears throat> I don't don't know that I put him at you know, emotionally stunted at five year old level, but he definitely Eight, I, I don't know it just doesn't it just it doesn't yeah and I don't know maybe there's a difference again no I think you're right I think it comes down to the performance a lot of cases um, but you know maybe there's a difference in his compulsiveness because he is under the cloud of having killed his wife I mean the the search for his wife's killer is Mulder's search for his missing sister but Mulder is not under any suspicion of his wife's sister as I recall in any episode of the X-Files which oddly enough he probably should be (laughs) well you know I mean kids left at home and you leave one night and you come back and one of them's gone never to be seen again and the other's spouting a crazy story about UFOs Um, you know he's bound to have been suspected as possibly being involved in her disappearance but you know that's never that's never conveyed in the series but in this case obviously we've got Fane and his you know relentless we're trying we're trying to create whereas in Mulder I don't think there was ever any doubt that Mulder is in it for good he's in it for the truth and he believes that the truth is good right and mm-hmm. Yeah. We're supposed to believe that the truth is good uh, because it's what's being kept from us. But in Kolchak, one, there's no conspiracy as far as we can see behind any of this thing. So it's not, you know, he's not trying to bring down a huge government conspiracy. And at the same time, uh, you know, we're we're given more than enough pieces that make you go, well, maybe Kolchak does have something to do with his wife's death. And not, but, you know, I'm not but, convinced because he's, he's cold. If this were a different show, if this were Bob the the demon hunter, then I wouldn't have my expectation that says, no, Kolchak's the good guy. Done. We're done with that. There's no ambiguity there. And in this case, no matter what Fane says, well, he got all that money from killing his wife and he got all this and, you know, his story is stupid and like, we're never we're never shown you know, and he hides the he hides the mark on his wrist, yep. and and we can come back to him not mentioning that that mark was significant uh, to Perry later on. Um, but know, it, but it, but again, that's in the writing. I don't I don't mind that, and I don't I don't object to the ambiguity that you're mentioning. I've, I've indeed I think it's an interesting ambiguity, but it still leaves the problem that when he gets into a brawl with Fane in the Beacon's office, I. Either way, that should be a much more shocking occurrence. It should be uh, it should be dramatic because he's the innocent man boiling over because he's been pushed too far, or it should be shocking and dramatic because we discover he has this hidden capacity for violence between this uh, you know sort of behind behind his um, facade of, of competence, but he doesn't have the facade of competence and. We don't. We do, We just don't get any of that sense. In you know, it doesn't. Or I don't. I don't feel it in that scene, mm. and I just can't help. It's because Townsend isn't doing enough with the character and his his kind of I, I, what he's what he's really about. What drives him? Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything. I think Townsend does let it down. I think the character of Kolchak here is 
possibly the least interesting in the series. And and the acting performance doesn't raise it above what's on the page. What's on the page isn't isn't always fantastic. So I, I'm, yeah. no, but I think that's true of a lot of the characters in this. And I just you know because I thought this was a pretty well written episode, but there were certainly flaws. I mean, by the by the standards of of the rest of the show, as you've said, this is the best story we've had. I you know I think in terms of the writing, it's a cut above, but it still has flaws and mm. it's still very clunky in places. And yet the performances manage to make you overlook that. And the exception to that is is some of the some of the stuff that uh, Townsend does as Kolchak. Mm. Um, I want to just go quickly back to your discussion of the acting um, and and Jane's role in this episode. Um, one of the things that I think puts him in his place correctly in this story is as always perry you know this is a gun lord this is drug cartel thing colt why is Coljack interested in this case it's crazy and jane has put two and two together jane hmm. knows that Coljack has a source jane knows that Coljack was given the description of the guy he was looking for and a place to go and that's why they were there and jane also knows that Coljack was not expecting this to be a drug cartel that he was not expecting this to be a shootout that was a total surprise to him and and he puts Kolchak's behavior together and goes I think this is about his wife that's not been revealed anywhere along the way Jane worked that out on his own Mm -hmm. and which shows he also has a little bit of brains behind him you know that that that, that maybe maybe he is a budding newsman after all he's not just Jimmy Olsen with the camera there to get in trouble (laughs) he's you know he's he's that third piece that's between Perry and Kolchak yes you know he he's willing to believe he's more willing to believe he's not as stuck in his way but he's also not stupid and and i and so i i thought that was a nice piece for his character um acting or koreatown let's (laughs) let's (laughs) let's put that piece here um i find that story the bit with the widow and the the kaleka in a way it's a little filler but at the same time it's it's kind of poignantly good Like, I love it. it, You know, it, it, uh, and, and, and all for the acting, all props to the doctor, the Korean doctor. When he is doing that scene where he is translating what she's saying, you can tell when, you know, because they drop the subtitles, you can tell what she, when he's translating, and you can tell when what she's saying is hurting him and he's paraphrasing. Yes. And, and it's like, that is, he is really, he's really going for that and, and really good job. And, um, but it, you know, it feels like it might've been dragged out again, a good job, but at the same time, I almost kind of feel like they said, well, we, maybe we need to increase the Koreatown a little bit because, uh, we don't have enough here for two stories. We could add another motorcycle gang riding in and killing people, or we could put in some human drama. Let's, let's do the human drama for a change. I, I don't, uh, I don't know, but I, I thought what? it was nice. I just was a little... I was a little unconvinced that this woman would be so caught up in this dream that she would take in a, a guy with a gunshot wound in her hiding in her back. But that room. was what was so that was what was so good about it. It was the it was the dream the dream was the dream was the paranormal element of this story. But and, again, they don't realize uh, they don't reveal that till towards the end of no, their time with no. her. And so in the first part of it, but I'm looking at having so trouble. Odd. Yes, it's it's wrong. And in retrospect, 
retrospect, it's kind of like she dreamed, and I and is it significant that boy? I'm gonna get into probably gonna get in trouble here. Um, that there's a a stronger culture of superstition in in Asian countries. That you know, is it is it significant that she's an immigrant and she's following this dream because? You know, we're more likely to believe that 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 an, that an Asian or Korean would put more stock in a in a dream that they had. I I have no idea. I mean, I would have had no trouble believing that there are you you could you could you could easily have a character who was uh, a British character and equally, I think, an American character. Though obviously, you know the culture better. Who well, I think the language cult- I think the language barrier is an important one to this story. Oh yes, absolutely, yeah. and. And it and it did it kind of it kind of felt um, like the story. I, I see. I can't even put my finger on what the the parallel is, but fitted into that kind of culture of Asian films, or at least those that have you know been sufficiently popular in the West that I've actually mm-hmm. managed to see them. That you have this kind of love triangle story going on, right? Um, so not not the superstition element, but the 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 love triangle stuff, and so it felt like it gave that another dimension as well. But yes, obviously having the Having the language barrier made that scene that you just described, which was just, you know, an absolutely beautiful um, way of bringing bringing out that reveal of, you know, his feelings for her and and her feelings for Flicker. So, I mean, I, I just I loved the whole thing. I loved it. And you know the the resolution of that did do, are we to take it that the Korean woman did earn her peace, as she put it? You will find peace in, in at the end when we see her at the sea, just like Linda Kaleka uh, had her dream about her husband saying, "You'll you know you're not going to see me again, but you've got you've got peace now and go off." Are they? I did. I'm, they I mean, to me, because I I kind of felt that in. In some ways, the first episode felt like the stronger episode because it had the the beautiful Korean widow love story bit in it. And then obviously that kind of took a bit of a, a back burner during the second one. But you got that you got that resolution at the end. And um and it and it did and it did feel like it, it tied in those pieces. So there was there was some there was peace for those characters and if you know, you, earlier on you asked about did we get any answers in this episode and to some extent i think that was that was an answer to the question of will the will the the um prophecy of their dreaming be fulfilled Hmm. did you find um any problems with the scenes with kolchak or specifically perry and linda in the the remote hotel where she tells her about you know kolchak's um wife's accident and how the the fetus was torn from the baby yeah did did linda's response to that seem i don't want to say it was helpful because it wasn't helpful in any way shape or form did it it didn't feel right to me i'll, I'll i'm not gonna try to load didn't the question right no it didn't it's like no nah, i can't tell you anything um no i'm afraid we wouldn't have been able to tell you anything at all you could have damn well told him you were pregnant that would have been a piece to the puzzle that that we in the audience didn't get you could have you could have we did get it surely we did that's, but we we got that because that's what we're and and we're what i wasn't sure about was whether perry was asking that question see that that's because i mean 
mean, an, another an, another reporter, many a reporter, I think, would have asked it more bluntly. So maybe she wasn't asking it at all. But certainly, we as the audience were thinking it. She didn't even she didn't even ask her. It's like, do you even remember anything about the accident? Do you remember anything about how did you you know how did you get away? Did you get away? Did you wake up you know in a you know she didn't yeah. nothing as a reporter. She asked her absolutely not the slightest. Is so just anything you could tell me? Nope. And then I, that's the part that bugged me about that. It just didn't. Perry has demonstrated that she's a reporter too, and she didn't even I say ask leading questions, but she didn't ask any specific questions that would have raised themselves in the mind of even a cub reporter given that she just explained here's what happened well, to Kolchak and I kind of heard yours might have been the similar was it similar <laughs> like, well yes she didn't even ask that. Is that that she is she is really asking that and and she's asking it because it's relevant because of what happened to Kolchak so it's because she is taking Kolchak's story seriously another reporter might not have asked those right. questions if they didn't know given, about what happened to Kolchak's wife given the situation that they're sitting there uh, a very real likelihood that there are four lethal killers on their way to find them and kill them is there any logical reason for Linda to hold out yeah that that, that part kind of that kind of I mean even Kolchak because, coughs because up about his hand thing you know at this point it's like well it looks like we're gonna die I might as well tell you about the little thingy on my hand which i neglected before which i thought was kind of a little no weird. no it's not because he's about to die he doesn't i mean he's he cornered too but to die and i and i think that despite the fact that she's suddenly oh it's all very kind um you, you know you're risking your lives linda should not trust them she has no reason to trust them she clearly didn't trust them at the hotel and it would it would not be something that she would automatically want to confide into in the first tom dick or harry who came along well i i absolutely agree that since she's hiding uh, and the only people who are supposed to know where she is is her husband. Um, you know, somebody shows up and goes, absolutely, you don't trust them. Um, then you save them. And presumably you can even show them that you've got ID from your beacon. You're, you're not from the drug cartel. Maybe. I would, if someone showed me ID proving they were a journalist, that would not make me trust them. Sorry, journalists. <laughs> well, I mean, it, but you would not expect the journalists to be there to harm you in the same way that if they were the drug cartel or the police. Right? Sure, but I wouldn't necessarily feel any need to satisfy their curiosity. Uh, all right, I just, I, 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 and well, I think that's, and that's where I think Perry's response to this wasn't very good. At least a specific question. Let the woman lie. If she's gonna, if she's gonna tell you a lie, then let her, then ask her a specific question. I'm just like, anything to add to that? I mean, it's like, we don't even know if that's really what happened to them. You know, we're only told this third hand that they were in a thunderstorm and smashed up and got, we never got that from, from her. You know, yeah. the only thing it we does, got from yeah, her. Yeah, it does feel like there should be a confirmation at least. Yes, that did happen to us. I don't know what happened to me. I woke up in the desert. The next Except day, that and, I don't, and we think the drug, story, and they never story explain point why. Of view, I don't think we need anything more. I think, from a character point of view, there needs to be an explanation of why Perry didn't push a bit harder. But actually, from a story point of view, this is exactly right. Did, it would it would need to be interrupted somehow, and uh, and the interruption has to occur instead in the the Vincenzo's discussion. Phone call. Well, could, yes, but it, but it, but it's they could it's have interrupted it with that. Perry and Kolchak and the the reveal about the mark rather than interrupting Perry and Linda and the lack of reveal about the pregnancy. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that... Hmm. Okay, so Kolchak and the mark. What does the mark mean? Any ideas? 
I absolutely no idea. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, and the the mysterious source on the phone knew about the mark. Yeah. Um, now, and I'm, I'm I'm much more interested in the mark. The mark in this story has become much more meaningful because it's curious that the you know it's it's only appeared on dead bodies apart from Kolchak mm-hmm. having had it since birth, which is quite surprising and curious and mysterious. And also now we have this the effect of it on the on the four horsemen and uh, that's also quite surprising and mysterious so so my curiosity is now peaked whereas after episode one i was just like oh okay so he's got a load of files that have some mark in them something okay next next episode is kolchak failing to tell perry that the that the horseman left him alone because of the mark is his failure to do that because he's in the room with vincenzo and and jane or is that because he's just decided to go back to being uh an idiot about it in this case because i'm well, thinking telling perry would be the right thing to do in that case i don't know if it would be the right thing to do but i don't understand isn't it it's not clear to me what is going on there because i don't think townsend communicates it correct right right <clears throat> he's, he's far more interested in his incredibly not subtle way of showing <clears throat> of telling uh, perry not to reveal linda's whereabouts you, you lost track of her, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> couldn't couldn't find her. No no clue where she is, right? Right, Perry? Oh boy, that was that was painful. I just I Can I you f- imagine da- Darren McGavin doing that kind of gurning and wink wink. <laughs> I I, <laughs> I can't actually sort of. Um, I think he'd do it better. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just the the mark. I, I feel like Perry has earned enough trust that Kolchak should say to her, you know, instead of saying, yeah, I just managed to get away from them. They didn't kill me. They walked right up to me and they didn't kill me. Well, why, Carl? I have no idea whatsoever, you know, <clears throat> even that. But, you know, I, I think they saw the mark. We don't know for sure that that's what it is. He assumes that and they show that by him looking at the hand going, oh, but yeah, I I kind of then I know we're going with that one. Um, I have one more quote. I have two. Actually, I have three things that I want to talk about. You mentioned it earlier. Edhead. Oh, bit, yeah. A bit convenient in this story um, that every time they need a little magic, Edhead is there. But I liked her character. Yes. I feel it's kind of weird that Jane hasn't brought her in sooner, considering how incredibly useful she is. But well, <laughs> yeah, except that there is there is a reason for it. And the, I did I did feel like it wasn't you know how when you get when you get um in these kinds of shows computer people yeah. techie people who can do all the clever stuff mm-hmm. and they just they just give them this excruciatingly awful dialogue about Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I forget that there's a there's a classic clip from CSI that um, oh. does the rounds from time to time. Which, so uh, that where they're using the two people using the same keyboard at the same time? No, no, it's not <laughs> it's not that one. But it but it's it's just a bit of dialogue that explains something just using some technical words. You know, they think if they throw in like IP address or something like that, then uh, it'll t- it'll sound to everyone like it's uh, super clever. They don't actually believe anyone understands what words like IP address mean. Right. And that if they just string them together, it might sound like a load of nonsense. And what I liked about this one was, actually, for the most part, she doesn't explain how she does any of it. She tells them what she's found. And what she's done, for the most part, is doable. It's not 
crazy magic. Highly illegal in some cases, but doable. It might be highly highly <laughs> legal, but that's fine. She, you know, she's a hacker, not a lawyer. Right. right. And, and, and I think they go, I mean, she's listening in on people's phone calls. She's illegally tapping phones. She says that. It's my, well, she doesn't say, I'm illegally tapping phones. She says, I've been listening in on the calls. Yeah, <clears> but <throat> it's not like hundreds of British journalists weren't doing that kind of thing in 2005. So it's it's credible. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely. I just I, I point out that it's you know a lot of times the a lot of times those techie explanations they try to pull something that doesn't sound like it's just outright illegal. Okay, yeah, you, sure. you follow my you know I've I'm my tech is so good I've worked this out, but this is like my tech is so good I'm able to do this illegal thing is what we get out of we get out of head head, which is which is fine. I mean, it's I'm not fine, endorsing right? it in real life. I'm just saying for the purposes of this story that that works. No, but it's it. You know, coming back to this this you know question about the characters, it, it, these people don't have to be entirely on the side of the good. And to be honest, I want the the, the criticism I've had, and it and it doesn't so much apply certainly to to uh, Vincenzo and, and Jane in this episode, um, is that these people are journalists and they should behave like journalists in that they should be interested in the story and the problem with Kolchak is that he often doesn't seem to care whether or not he's actually going to get anywhere near being able to file a story on anything though (laughs) I guess I guess you know if he happens to turn up at a drug lord killing minutes after it's gone down and before the police arrives and gets a front page scoop out of it then maybe that explains how he's done so well in journalism that he's just a lucky bastard rather than actually any good at job <laughs> okay but, um, oh, go ahead. but so so that, so they're, do, they're doing this stuff and and it's not necessarily uh, legal but it's it's the kind of thing journalists might do and edhead is doing stuff that is for the most part possible mm-hmm. the actual the actual flaws in it aren't anything to do with the tech it's stuff like how did she find walton's burner phone that's a good question they don't mention that they don't mention that and that but but even then because me. they don't explain it you kind of think well maybe she did it by no hang on yeah i was thinking she could have done it by triangulating but she'd have had to have she'd have had to have access to well she didn't find she didn't physically records. find walton's burner phone she found no, it she must have found so that she could get into it into his account yeah, she would have had to know the number she would have had to would have had to be some record of him buying it which kind of defeats the purpose of burner phones that you pay for them in cash and you don't give your real name mm. so um and to to kind of triangulate from the phone signal or something you'd have to have the kind of mass surveillance that clearly wouldn't be credible um so that i i stand by suggesting that your honor is a bit of a plot hole um but otherwise you know in, uh, incredibly smart beautiful cocky hacker yes please can we have her back next week yeah i i don't remember but i i hope we see her again obviously they need her they do. <laughs> you know, they needed her back when Jane was having trouble with his camera in what the Burning Man or three oh, or yeah, whatever yeah, the episode yeah. where he was trying to work out the tech there. That would have been that would have been the perfect time for him to say, "I've got a friend who is uh-huh, with this stuff." But uh, anyway, so I have a question for you. Um, the The first episode is all about Kolchak's source, hence the name, mm-hmm. I assume. Mm-hmm. And Kolchak does not know who his source is. Kolchak has an anonymous source, a newsman with an anonymous source that provides him with a tip that turns out to lead him to a major crime investigation. And when it push comes to shove and he reveals to Perry, I don't know who it is. It's an anonymous source. And Perry's response is, Carl, do you realize how reckless that is? It could be anything. It's like, isn't that what brought down Nixon? (laughs) 
There's nothing. Isn't, well, isn't, what's reckless about an anonymous source? Uh, I mean, isn't I well, that what this is? You're 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 right. I mean, I I have exactly the same complaint, and it goes to my it goes to my criticism of this this show in in how they use the journalism in it because it's it's exactly the opposite opposite to the way they've they've handled the tech stuff, which is if. If you have an anonymous source, if you have an anonymous single source and you publish your story based on it. So okay, take Watergate or whatever. If they had if they had just used what Deep Throat had told them and gone to press with it, would that have been astonishingly reckless? I would agree. But they didn't. Yeah. And neither did Goldjack. And and yes, and this is the point. Because actually his story was was entirely written. The only thing we're aware that he's published based on what this source has given him is a story that was entirely based on his first-hand experience on the crime scene and from confirmation from the FBI and DEA who have backed up everything that he's written. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the it's not that the source is actually giving him the whole story. It's just pointing him in the direction and literally pointing him in the direction because he doesn't even know what he's about to find. Right. So I th- I thought that line was I, I just really what what is what is actually wrong instead of saying to the FBI all along I don't actually know who it is instead of I'll protect my source you can put me in jail it's like I don't know who it is <laughs> it's like I literally well, don't know be, who it is be, be, you see again and this this comes I'm I feel like this is down to the way Townsend performs this stuff but mm-hmm. I don't have a sense of where Kolchak's ethics as a journalist would take him with this if he could blow his source mm. because obviously it's one of those situations where it's the absolute worst dilemma for a journalist because no one wants to get put in prison and clearly it can happen you can get forced into that situation where you actually have to decide are you going to go to prison or are you going to d- completely destroy your credibility as a journalist because who's going to who's going to talk to you after you know mm-hmm. you, you you give up a source Think so yeah. and, and and you know it, it's it's a question of principle as well you someone talks to you you have an obligation to protect them so i don't know which way carl would have gone with that and it's a bit it seems to me it's a bit strange the way this goes because it's almost like it's supposed to be that what carl is hiding is the fact that his source isn't known to him and that other people will have the same reaction that perry has even though as we've just said it's a completely ludicrous ludicrous reaction because he hasn't done anything unethical with the source given that it's anonymous Mm -hmm. and on the other on the other hand he actually still does have an obligation to protect the source because even though the source is anonymous if he tells the police anything about how the source has been tipping him off that leads them with their far greater resources to be able to track that source down then in effect he has blown that source and if he had said okay well i meet him at this house at this address and there's a phone there and i answer it and they go there would the house have been there well presumably not <laughs> we know that but of course kolchak wouldn't know that right so if he'd if he'd complied and it, pre- presuming that the the doj judgment was um specific enough to say that he had to give any information that he had if he'd complied with that not knowing that the, the house wasn't there then kind of feel he was gonna go to jail <laughs> I mean, he, you, it would be a lose-lose from Kolchak's point of view because, on the one hand, the FBI would put him in prison and, on the other hand, we would think he was an absolute
great bounder for trying to sell out his source. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have one more. A little bit grisly. We're just going to touch on it briefly, but but I, I felt that I really, really needed to bring this one out. Um, I will say from personal experience, <clears throat> I have been in a house where a death by gun has occurred. And a subsequent police scene and, you know, all the all that kind of stuff. And here's what I can tell you that the police do not do. They do not leave the blood all over the floor for you to sweep up after the fact. They actually have what they have biohazard teams that come in and get that out. Because leaving blood lying around is extremely dangerous for people. And when they get that scene where the woman is sweeping up the blood, they just, Is there anything I can do to help you, ma'am? No, I'm fine. Leave. I'll just start sweeping sweeping up all the body bits and the blood that just like wow that's that's harsh and wrong really really wrong mm-hmm. um <laughs> i um yeah didn't like that scene frankly but um but i thought i'd mention it i'm sure it was there for shock value but it's not the way it works so or at least hopefully not you know everywhere in this country <laughs> Maybe in Los Angeles, it's different, uh, you know, different police forces, but uh, but they, they do have teams that, that do that to make sure that the public is uh, safe from uh, bloodborne problems like that. Anyway, okay, uh, I don't have anything else. Neither do I. So uh, that's a long one. Oh, I'm, no, I'm sorry. I am, I'm going to pick. I've got one more hole to pick on my list. Okay. The knots. Oh, yeah, that's just ridiculous. Go ahead. <laughs> so this super important uh, wristband, the secret code that it holds are the days on which Linda is going to the different motels on rotation. Mm-hmm. And without it, you'd never be able to find Linda because obviously it would be just far too much trouble to check all three of them, wouldn't it? It would be just... <laughs> Well, there's that. <laughs> Hadn't even thought about that one. There's that. But at the same time, there's also, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the sequence was six, two, or, or three, two, four, or something four, like that. Four, three, and two, yeah. Four, three, and two. Um, okay. I'm not saying that I remembered it, but, but you remembered it. And I'm thinking four, four, two, three, that we yeah. would not actually need to stitch that into a bracelet no, to sure, remember you a three-sequence number. You could memorize that. You could and, memorize it. But and, my, my problem is it's not like if you forgot it, it would be absolutely catastrophic because you'd never find her again. And there's also, the there's also when Edhead goes, well, she's not there now, but she checked in uh, and then she checked in again six days before. You know, she, che- she checked in six days ago and then she checked in six and checked out and checked in six days before that that and then they're like huh well wait this code and then it's six and then that means that it would be uh, it would be this and then i would be coming back and that would be that would be today i'm like yes <laughs> she checked in six days ago and she checked in six days ago today is the <laughs> you're day right. you're right <laughs> it's like it just um, did it. Oh, so I will then, uh, then I'll ask the question because I, I forgot to mention it earlier. What the heck was Kaleika doing with the money at the beginning? Why is he taking it to the drug lord? Does he think the drug lord was behind the attack on him and his wife? Is 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 yes, is this a misunderstanding that he thinks the drug lord was trying because he's a DEA agent and he thinks the drug lord is trying to kill his him and his wife and so he puts That's his wife in hiding and well, I... I uh, and where would a DEA agent get that kind of money? Oh, well, that is the question. But then we don't know for sure that he is actually... Clean? Yeah. Or, th- or that 
when push comes to shove, when it comes to protecting his wife and himself, that he might not resort to means that desperate times call for desperate measures. Mm-hmm. I, I, that, that part, again, it's one of those things where it's part of the misdirection at the beginning of the episode, but then by the time you get to the end of the episode, I go, what was that? Apart from misdirection, how is that supposed to actually fit in this in this story? And, you know, is it odd that there was no mention of, of the wolfy creatures? Well, it is odd that there's no mention of the wolfy creatures, but it's odd in a this is part of the mystery kind of a way, rather than this is something the writers have forgotten about. Because it's explicitly referenced that Kolchak, that, that they, Kolchak and Jane and Perry think there should be a creature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's a, a line that Walton has, a not... They say what, and he says who, or something like that. Linda did the same thing. Do you have any right. idea what or who? Right so it, it's it's not like the episode is is trying to go. Oh no, we never said it was a, a creature. It's like no, there is definitely there is definitely something different going on here, even though the ammo is completely identical in other respects. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope in the few episodes that we have to go that we get some more answers to this to this mystery. <laughs> Or or two pieces of this mystery. I say there may be some more coming, but I, I don't remember for sure. So Okay. Well, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners, I just want to remind you that this was a two-part story that we were looking at, and that explains why the runtime on this episode may be a little longer than you use it. But thank you very much for joining us. And I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.